0: He is indeed our true king. Good morning. I've had over the years this amazing love-hate relationship with the parade of homes that goes on in town. The parade of homes where builders and designers come together and they show off their amazing works that they've done and we get the privilege of, of walking through the homes I love all the design elements. I love the big windows with the lights. I love the colors. I love the creative living spaces that are created. I love the exposed wood beams. Those are some of my favorite things in these homes. The choice of furnishings. Many of the new homes are built on lakes. I love that. And I love the water features that they have in these new homes. There's so many beautiful things. And for me, the love relationship is I just love the beauty of it. And so we go with our family and we enjoy God's beauty, his creativity lived out through these builders and designers. But then there's a hate side of it. The hate side of it for me is what it does to me inside my heart as I walk through these homes. I, I realize as I walk through the homes, I become like that girl uh, in Willy Wonka, Veruca. I want it. And Daddy, I want it now. And she keeps crying out, I'm going to scream if I don't get it. And I really do find that I want it. I begin in my heart to covet. And I continue to walk through the house, and as I'm walking through the house, I start to bargain with God. Lord, think of all the ministry we could do in this house together. I do that, I'm having these conversations, and as I walk out to the infinity pool, I'm like, Lord, the baptisms we could have here, and look, look at the waterfalls, gorgeous setting to reflect you and your love in our baptisms. And then I make my way over to the massive kitchen island where I can take a peek at the price. And I grab the sheet and I look at the price and I cry. (laughs) And then I get upset at the Lord Lord, I can never afford a house like this, ever. I get a little depressed, honestly. And then I go home to the house that the Lord has blessed me with. And for the next several weeks, I start to pour all of my time and my energy and my money and my thinking into remodeling my house so that it looks somewhat like the parade homes. And then the Lord meets me at that place, taps me on the shoulder And he says, Rod, whose house are you building? And he starts to reveal the damage that's going on in my soul. Starts to show me my sin of coveting, of wanting more, of an ungrateful heart. And he starts to expose that in my life. And then he helps me shift my focus. Rod, I want you to be focused on building my house. Investing your time and money into my kingdom. Did you forget that you are now the temple? I dwell in you. Invest in this house. Your temple is meant to be holy. You're meant to be set apart unto me. So start to furnish this temple with things that reflect godliness. Start to furnish this temple to reflect me and my love. And so he gently reminds me Rod, whose house are you building? Where are all your thoughts going? Where's all your time going? Where's your investment going of your life? Where's your sacrifice going? And then he says to me, he says, pick up that sign that fell on the floor while you're remodeling the house. It's covered with dust as I'm fixing up my own house. And I pick it up, And I dust it off. And it's my sign that says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not being satisfied with you. Truly. For building our own house. For glorifying our names for coveting and for wanting more and not being content with what you've given us and what you've blessed us with. Forgive us for our hearts that are ungrateful towards you. And Father, I know we as a church family, we desire, we desire to love you more. We desire to build your house for your kingdom, for your purposes. And to furnish your house with those things that bring about godliness, holiness, that we are set apart unto you. And Father, we as a church family, we desire our house, that we shall serve you, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Well, as we enter into 1 Kings chapter 7, what we're going to find is we're going to find Solomon building his own house, his palace in the house. And there's a tension in there. And there's a tension of, Solomon, whose house are you really building? What's going on in your life and in your heart? And what I hope we'll see together is some of the dangers that happen when we're building our own house. Dangers of being distracted where our our focus shifts away from the Lord. I hope we'll see the dangers of being drawn to living in extravagance and abundance, but that's for our house instead of for the Lord's. Let's start in verse uh, 38 of chapter 6. Here's what it says. In the 11th year... The temple was finished in all of its details according to the specifications. And Solomon spent seven years building it. Seven has the idea of it's complete, it's perfect. And then as we get into verse 1 of chapter 7, Solomon's palace took 13 years to build. Do you see the tension already? The Forest Hall was the largest room in the palace. It was 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And it was lined with cedar. There was cedar everywhere, every chamber, every room, lined with cedar, expensive cedar. Pillar Hall was 75 feet long, 45 feet wide. Solomon's throne was in Justice Hall where he judged cases. And this hall, too, was completely lined with cedar. The section of the palace where Solomon lived was behind Justice Hall. It looked exactly like it. It had a similar palace that was built for his wife. His wife was the daughter of Pharaoh of Egypt. That's a problem there in and of itself. And from the foundation all the way to the top of these buildings, the courtyards was made out of the best stones. Over and over, as you're seeing Solomon building his house, you're seeing costly stones. Costly, costly, costly. An expensive cedar. And they were cut and everything was smooth and his palace was being built and so we wrestle with this question well, what do you think of Solomon's palace? As it's being revealed in scriptures, is it a problem to have a nice palace like this? To have our own house that's really nice like this? Is that a problem? Do you see the tension? There is some really wonderful things. Here's the truth kings lived in palaces, it's not inappropriate for a king to have a palace. Kings lived in palaces. And the palace is not only for Solomon, but it's also for the kingdom of God, to represent the kingdom of God. He knew many, many more would continue to come and to seek his wisdom. And so it's a place where he can offer wonderful hospitality. It's close to the temple in proximity, and so it really can have the idea of I sit under the Lord God Almighty, who's in his temple over here. I'm right next to him. I seek him out. It's been noted that, you know what, the reality is is that Solomon spent seven years on the temple of God. He finished that first. And then he went and built his place. That's a good thing. And that the priority there was to build the temple first. And then there's the Hall of Justice This is where Superman and Wonder Woman hang in the League of Justice. This is where my mind goes when I study scriptures. I used to love that cartoon. And in the Hall of Justice, this is where wise judgment would play out. This is where God's justice would be enacted. And Solomon actually sought that out in Psalm 72. We see this. Endow your king with justice, O God, the royal son with righteousness, that he may judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. It's a reminder that our Lord God, he is a just judge. And there will be a final judgment for all mankind. We will stand before our Lord, all of us. And so there's these good things that we're seeing going on. And you can imagine that Solomon, as he's building his palace, he's saying to the Lord, Lord, look at all the ministry we can do in this parade of my palace. Look at all the good things that can happen. And again, there's a tension in the text Whose house are we building? Whose house are we building? And I think it requires some self-evaluation. And a question for us in our earthly homes or, or when we just have extra stuff. Am I living where I live for the glory of God? Is it all for Him? And with the stuff I have, is it all for the glory of God, for His kingdom building into His house? Am I content with the living space that God has provided for me? And I've wrestled with that, especially when I go to those Parade of Homes. Am I content? Am I content with what God has provided for me in life? Whose house are we building? I think we see the dangers when we're building our own house... And as Solomon is stepping in and he's building, taking all this time to build his own house, I think this is where we start to see the slow fade of Solomon's spiritual life. We know the end of the story. He got way far away from God. I think it starts here. I'm spending all of my time and my energy. There's a big contrast between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Seven years for God thirteen years for me and my house. Some say, well, it was bigger, so it deserved more time. But what it's going to show, I believe, is that all his attention and his focus and it reveals that his priorities have shifted. And I think as we're on the journey with our Lord and trying to follow him, it really comes that question, where are our priorities? Am I spending all my time building my own house? Or am I really thinking about the Lord and what He has for me and this temple? We are the temple of the living God. The worship of God and the building of His temple and His kingdom should be our primary focus in life. But we get so distracted so quickly by the next shiny thing, don't we? It's amazing how that happens to us. There's this danger of extravagance going on. Solomon's wealth and all of our wealth, whatever God has given us, it is indeed a gift from God. Sometimes we forget that. Solomon has been given incredible wealth and it was for the purpose that his name would be known. I'm going to build a temple unto the Lord that his name would be known. And even in my palace, would his name be known? But I think Solomon's getting to a place where he's like, well, I want my name to be known a little bit too. I'm going to build this palace in such a way and it really does become extravagant. The forest of Lebanon, all the cedar, the costly stones. We're seeing it over and over again. Jeremiah 22 gives a warning against kings. Are you trying to prove your worth by all of the cedar that you're using? It says in Jeremiah. Woe to you. Woe to you when you're using costly cedar to all of a sudden build and show who you are as king. You're building your own house. Here's the deal with us. We live in a culture that's expected to increase... In the size of our income, we're expected to increase in the stuff that we have. We're expected to increase the size of our homes. We're surrounded with that, aren't we? Always more, always better. Hey, you got you to increase in your salary? Well, get a bigger house. That's American thinking, isn't it? This is what you do you build more. We get very comfortable spending and more spending. And Amazon has just made it so nice for us to do that. And in two days, we can be satisfied in what we've purchased. This is the culture we live in. And a lot of times, with all that spending, we're building our own house. I think the Lord is calling us to a place to take every decision about money Bring it to him because we need wisdom. To evaluate how much we're spending our time, our attention, our resources into building our own house. Into our home versus the house of God and allowing his kingdom to expand. Investing in what he has to love people. Participating in God's kingdom. I think for us as a people of God, as you search the scriptures, I think we're really called to a place of, of simplicity. Truly, of simplicity. And part of that is just giving away. You know what? Because God's a generous God. He's given everything. And so give it away. And even this, as you give it away, maybe you know there, it's a little bit tighter on your income. But you know what the Lord says? He's like, Wait a second, I've got you. I'm taking care of you. He draws us to to chapter 6 of Matthew. Look at the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon's splendor compared to them. And I clothe them, I take care of them. And they're lilies of the field, they glorify me. So to live simply. Because you, like me, were all... These people who we just seem to contain more and more and more. And we bring more and more in. And our closets get more and more full. Let's live simply as a people of God. So that our time and our energy is focused on building his house. Here's what happened. We start to see the shift after the first 12 verses. And the author of Kings is making it really clear. One of the things you need to know is that the temple in scriptures was often called the house. So that's why I'm talking about God's house. It was called the house. Didn't you know Jesus said I'd be at my Father's house? Of course I'm here at the temple, it's His house. Building God's house, that His name would be known, that His kingdom would expand, all glory unto Him. Here's the deal. There is, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, all the building of the temple, there's 107 verses in those three chapters. You know how many verses are given to Solomon building his house? Twelve verses. Twelve verses. You want to know why? Because that's not what's important. And I think the author is trying to be really clear. You understand? Where our focus needs to be is in building God's house. Solomon got sidetracked here. And he's building 13 years his house, but that's not where God wants us to be. He wants us to be back building his house. Do you realize in the design and then the building of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where God met with his people, in the Old Testament, in the design and the preparation for God dwelling with his people, do you realize there are almost 50 chapters dedicated to that in the Old Testament? First five books. There's two chapters to the creation account. That blew me away as I was studying the scriptures. All of this about the design of God's tabernacle, and the temple is just a larger scale tabernacle that's solid. Two chapters to creation. I think what he's trying to say is, listen, I want you to know very clearly that your God dwells with you. I want you to know that. I want you to know the importance of God forgives our sins. I want you to know the importance of coming to worship your God. There is only one God. Come and worship him. I want you to understand that your God is holy and that he's calling you into holiness. To be set apart unto him. All focused on building God's house. So much beautiful attention to building God's house. Solomon started that way with the people of Israel. And as we see these images of God's house, of his temple, there's so much gold, things worthy of the king, the purest, the best gold for our king palm trees and cherub, the angels. And flowers and pomegranates carved into the wood. Everything inside covered with gold. Our most precious, the most elaborate, expensive thing that we can offer to our God. We want to give to him. And you see all of the gold. What kind of God would have a house like this? Well, I think a God who loves beauty. Beauty. And I think a God who is beautiful. That's the kind of God who would have a house like this. And so we sing praises because his beauty is in the sanctuary. He is beautiful in the perfection of his love. By sending his son Jesus to us. The costliness of that sacrifice. His son's death, Jesus on the cross was beautiful because it allowed and brought about beautiful life, new life to those who would believe in him. Our God is beautiful. And now God is doing a beautiful work in us. This temple, conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus. And as we keep going further and further into the temple, we gaze upon his beauty And as we go in and we see all the gold and we're reminded, as we draw closer and we come up the stairs to the Holy of Holies, we are reminded our God is holy. The Ark of the Covenant in there where God would dwell. And then the grand cherubim, the angels that oversaw the Ark. And don't be thrown off by the Egyptian theme. You understand, the people came out of Egypt. They knew that. We don't know for sure, but there sure is a lot of stylistic Egyptian theme for the Israelites. So don't be thrown off by that. But the grand cherub, we're coming in the presence. Holy, 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 Isaiah 6 says, is the Lord God Almighty. And all the cherub, they are crying out and giving praise to God we get a glimpse of this through the book of Kings. And we go further into the temple and we start to realize we serve a holy God. I wanted to bring you back to remind you about what we talked about in chapter 5. That the temple is where holy God dwells. It's no longer a physical dwelling now Jesus became the temple of the living God. And then when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he died on the cross for our sin, resurrected, and he went to be with the Father. Then he sent the Holy Spirit, and now we as a people, individually and collectively as the church, we now are the temple of the living God. And again, I'm always blown away by that when I see The amazing holiness and the temple of God that Solomon built to give him glory. His spirit dwells with us. The reminder of scriptures that he is building together a dwelling in Ephesians 2, which God will live by his spirit. In John 14, he says, anyone who loves me and obeys my teaching, my father will love them. And we will come to them, and what are we going to do, the Lord says? We're going to make our home in this church and in your lives. You are the temple of the living God. How beautiful. Do our temples reflect the glory of the Lord? Are we building God's house, or are we taking all this time building our own house? You see, the soul of every believer is this beautiful, sacred place. And God is building. And may we be a people who are giving praise to God. As we look at chapter 7, we start to see all of these elements built unto the temple. And I hope you'll see with me how they reflect upon who Jesus is. As you're coming into the courtyard and as you're coming up to the temple, you come across these two bronze pillars, massive pillars unto the Lord. They were 27 feet high. The pillar on the south was named Jacob, and the one on the north was named Boaz. And these were decorated with fruits and flowers, all kinds of beauty. It was echoes of Eden, I think that the temple would lead us back to paradise. That beautiful and perfect place where God dwells. It is through God, it is through his son, Jesus, that we are being restored back. The pomegranates were symbols of, of abundance, of life, of the promised land. The lilies were symbols of life and love. These pillars, Jacob. Jacob means he will establish. Do you remember the promises of God to David? I'm going to establish my kingdom on this earth through your lineage, David. God will establish. That's Jacob. Boaz, the other pillar, means God is strength. He is strength. What are your pillars? What does that look like for you? For Solomon, God himself was the pillars. Jesus, for us, should be our pillar. Our pillar of strength when we're weak. Pillar of mercy when we need forgiveness. Pillar of comfort when we suffer loss. A pillar of hope when we struggle about the future. Psalm 73 says, My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. You see, that's building God's house. Then as you're in the courtyard and you come over to the right, you enter what you see is the bronze sea. Verse 23, the cast metal sea was was circular in shape. It was 15 feet from rim to rim. And the sea stood on the 12 bulls and it could hold 2,000 baths, it says. That's a lot of water. I'm always amazed by the amount of water. Now the sea could have represented a reminder of when, when the Israelites were brought through the Red Sea. There would be some imagery from there. The sea also could be a reminder that as we saw, and Josh taught us a while ago, the sea represented chaos and 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 turmoil and that this sea was calm and a reminder that it's God who calms the sea and brings us right to Jesus on the boat with us and Jesus spoke and the sea was calm Jesus is our peace he is our place of rest and so the sea could remind them of that. But I think the most important thing is that it was used for cleansing. As the priest of God would take the sacrifice to the brazen altar, they would cleanse for that. They would also cleanse the animal that was to be sacrificed. It was to be a pure and holy sacrifice unto the Lord. And so it's a call to personal holiness that we are to be clean before holy God. But here's the one thing that's amazing. We are the temple of the living God now. You know what else he calls us in scriptures? We are a royal priesthood. And we too cleanse and we need cleansing on a daily basis as we come before our Lord. And the Lord cleanses us. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, one time and one time alone, so we have cleansing in our soul. But guess what? As we're walking through the parade of homes, sin gets on our sandals, and we need cleansing. And the Lord says in John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. And as priests, we remind people that we are cleansed and we can be and we can be forgiven. And as we wash, we are washed by the blood of Jesus. He has forgiven us. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, forgive me Forgive me for building my own house. And you know what? He washes us in that. He knows our temptation to do that, to live for ourselves and for our kingdom. He says, "I want you to come back into worship with me." And as we enter into the temple and into the most holy into the holy place and then the most holy, what we see there is we see the golden altar. The golden altar is to be represented as a life of prayer before the Lord. And so we see this coming up, again, all covered with gold. A life of prayer devoted him right in front of the most holy place where God dwelt. And there was incense burnt in the gold altar. This is the furnishings of our temple. I want you to think about how you're furnishing your temple. It should be furnished with prayers unto the Lord. We had a wonderful weekend with our friends from Frontier Ministries who are sending people all over the world to share the love of Jesus, to help them know Jesus. And my friends Bill and Mark, they're here this morning, but Bill and Mark led us as a a group of elders and a lot of future ministry partners to think about the only way ministry starts all around the world is that we come to this altar of prayer. Nothing will happen unless we come before God and we furnish this temple with prayer and that God responds to our prayers. And it's amazing what God is doing all over the world in response to that. This was the place, the holy altar. Thanksgiving, let us be a people of thanksgiving interceding for people, praising God, praying for protection against the enemies, all bring these at the altar of incense before the Lord. And then we have the table of presence in our temple as we're building for God's kingdom, His temple. The table of the bread of presence. This is the priest would put 12 loaves of bread every week for the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a reminder. But the reminder is, this is God's provision for his people. This is God's provision. And what would happen is the priests would go in, and they would actually eat the bread that you see here, and they're having fellowship with God in his most holy place, in the holy place there, before the most holy. They're taking bread together. Let us be a people who recognize and are thankful for the bread that we receive. God who supplied manna in the desert now gives us the bread of life. And what does Jesus say? I am the bread of life. And then in the great hallway was the candles that were burning all the time. The candles that were burning unto the Lord. The golden lampstands. There was ten in this temple. There was only one in the tabernacle. It was purposeful and it was symbolic. It lit lit the holy place so that the priests could serve in there as they furnished the temple. And those candles were lit. It was a reminder of our great God who had lit the sky in His creation. And it was a reminder, Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light And my salvation, whom shall I fear? And now we see the light of God in the person of Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. Which house are we building? Which house are we furnishing? And I think as we see in chapter 7 that God is calling us back Stop spending all this time and energy and life and resource and building your own house. But come and worship me. Come and build into my house. Build and furnish this temple with things that bring me glory, with things that proclaim my name. Come to the altar of incense and pray. Come and receive fellowship with me and let me provide for you. Build my house. Come and receive my love and forgiveness. And so, dear saints, would we bring our praise to the Lord and may we build his house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your scriptures this morning. There's so much in what went into the building of this temple. To reveal yourself, God, and to reveal your son, Jesus who is the bread of life, who is the light of the world, who is the pure and ultimate sacrifice for our sin, all of this at the temple, who has cleansed us by his blood. And so we say thank you. And so, Father, may we now give you praise, give you glory that you deserve. As we sing worship unto you, you are God alone. May we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.